Welcome to episode 205 of the Thinking LSAT podcast in Los Angeles. I'm Nathan Fox with me in Vienna, Virginia, Ben Olson. Ben, keeping busy? Uh, yeah, very busy. Just demon development stuff, classes, what's going on? Yeah, it's a whole host of things. It's uh, Demon development is nonstop just because we're constantly trying to make it better. We're working on the course that we mentioned last time that is now available on preview.lsatdemon.com. So not only are we trying to add content to the lessons, we're also trying to make sure everything works the way we expect it to. So people, when they go into those lessons, they can watch videos, they can read uh, written text on things that you've said about the various topics and that I've said. They can also listen to audio. And so that's what we were just working on this morning. Basically what happens is, let's say you're diving into a lesson on flaw questions. If you go to the audio portion, it will, and you click play, it will take you to usually some episode in the podcast, right where we start talking about flaw questions. So basically we're organizing all the content and making it easily accessible and findable for everyone. And that's just a lot of, (laughs) a lot of work. Yeah. Thanks for taking care of all that. I uh, also am buried under ask requests from people hitting the ask button in the daemon. If there's a question that you don't understand, if there's not an explanation, or if you would like a written explanation, uh, just click that ask button and it comes right into my email box. I'm a few days behind right now, but I'm uh, working on it steadily every day to get all those explanations into the daemon. So lsatdemon.com, you can do a free trial for a week. And uh, thank you for everyone who is using the demon and subscribing and asking questions. We appreciate it. It's getting better all the time, huh? Yeah. Today on the show, we, we've gotten some emails from listeners with people, some tips for the digital LSAT. (laughs) We're going to have to talk about that. Okay. I wanted to talk a little bit about the meaning of the word condescension. Okay. Mm Mm-hmm. And just, um, yeah, well, I'll come back to it. We're going to review a diversity statement and we're going to do uh, one or two logical reasoning questions from prep test 71. Oh, a diversity statement. Okay. A little twist. Yeah, it'll be fun. Yeah, sure. This show is going to air on August 12th, which means that we'll be only 16 days away from the release of the July LSAT scores. Mm. Finally, those are going to come out via email. Cool. On Wednesday, August 28th, Saturday, September 21st is the September LSAT. I guess we're already, by the time this airs, we're past the sign-up date for the September LSAT, huh? Yeah. Okay. You can always email the show, help at thinkinglsat.com. When you do that, if you send us a selfie, uh, you might find your face plastered on our social media. So, you know, make sure you do your hair. (laughs) You can listen all sorts of ways. We're on everything. We're on Spotify. We're on Apple Podcasts. We are on YouTube, Stitcher, thinkinglsat.com. Please leave us a review on iTunes. Um, Yeah, you know, talk us up anywhere you uh, have the opportunity to talk us up, please. It helps uh, people find us. Yeah. We have an announcement here about uh, we learned a little bit of new information here. You want to read this since it was an email to you? Yeah, sure. Under announcements. Okay. Hi, Ben. I just called LSAC, and apparently all tests outside of North America are only paper and pencil. 
and I am able to use my free retake for the Europe October test. The paper pencil thing would be interesting to share with your listeners, Stacy. Yeah, thank you, Stacy. So Stacy and I were having a back and forth because she, she for whatever reason, is going to be out of the country and in Europe. And she's like, oh, am I going to be taking the test digitally? And in my mind, I was like, yeah, September forward, it's all digital. And then I was like, well, then again, orchestrating all of this digital stuff outside of North America may be challenging. And so she went ahead and called LSAC and they're like, yep, um, that's still paper and pencil. So if you really hate the uh, digital LSAT for some strange reason, most people that we talk to actually like it better than paper and pencil. But if you hate it, you can go abroad and take it. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's a good announcement. And then we have another announcement here just to, to double confirm this PSA about the writing sample. Oh, yeah. Okay, so all, a lot of people have been asking, like, oh, I take the LSAT, they took it in July, and they're like, when do I have to take the writing sample, and yada, yada, yada. Let's just clarify. All can, well, I'll just read this, because this is pretty clear. All candidates must have at least one writing sample on file, either from an earlier paper and pencil administration of the LSAT or from LSAT writing, which is, by the way, their digital version of the writing sample where you go online at your home and take do the writing sample with a virtual proctor. So all candidates must have at least one writing sample on file in order to have their law school report, which is a compilation of the candidate's undergraduate and graduate school records, admissions, test scores, writing samples, letters of recommendation, and other relevant materials sent to any law schools to which they want to apply. So bottom line, if you want to apply, you have to have a writing sample on file, and that can either be from a previous paper and pencil-based test or from the new uh, digital writing sample. Then there's this other question. Do I have to take LSAT writing if I already have completed a writing sample during a previous LSAT administration? No. Okay. Well, we just answered that, but no candidates are only required to have one writing sample on file in order to complete a law school report. Writing samples may be from either a previous LSAT administration or from an administration of LSAT writing. Okay. Yeah. They're just repeating themselves, but the bottom line is you only have to do this once. And if you already have an official writing sample on file, that's great. You're done. Perfect. Yeah. Now, I guess if you have one on file and you wrote it by hand and you have atrocious handwriting, then it probably makes sense to pay 15 bucks and go do LSAT writing, which is the digital version, so you can type it out, right? It'll be better. On the other hand, if you have beautiful handwriting, it might actually be in your favor not to redo the digital version. I've heard of uh, people getting complimented from like the Stanford Admissions Committee saying, Oh, wow. We noticed you had really nice handwriting on your writing sample. Oh, that's interesting. (laughs) Yeah. It's just old people caring about old people things. But uh, (laughs) anyway, yeah. So that's the deal on the writing sample. Don't worry about the writing sample. It's the easiest thing in the world. And by the way, the format of the writing sample itself has not changed at all. It's, it's, I mean, the delivery format has changed, but the actual uh, essay prompt and all that hasn't changed at all. And it's like the easiest, most formulaic essay in the world. Yeah. So you just, you don't need to practice it. You don't need to worry about it. It's the easiest thing in the world. Ben and I have free videos about it. Have we ever talked about it on the show? Like gone through like how you would do the LSAT writing sample? 
Well, let's see here. 205 episodes in, I feel like we must have at some point, but <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I mean, it would be fun to like do a, like an LSAT fundamental uh, like segment on the LSAT writing sample sure. and just like kind of go through one and say, okay, here's how we would yeah, approach it. Yeah, yeah, that would be good. People, okay. <laughs> despite its simplicity, I think they can overthink it and make it more convoluted, more, you know, academic than it needs to be. Yeah. People find ways to write poorly. Yep. We've, we discover that every day. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> All right. What else? I don't know. What's this next thing? Oh yeah. So oh, this, this is, is the thing. This is the, yeah. Well, this is the thing about the digital tips for the digital LSAT thing. Okay. Yeah. This is an email that I received says, according to PowerScore, previous versions of their LSAT Bibles are now ren- rendered obsolete as a result of the new digital format of the LSAT. Let's just stop right there. there so PowerScore is saying that its own books are now... Did they actually write this too? They wrote, are now rendered obsolete? I mean, who knows? This is coming from a student. The student could have been like, you know, paraphrasing or ramping it up. I don't want to like attack power score too much for this. Oh, but. I want to. <laughs> okay. <laughs> if they wrote this, I would have to like, yes, wait, yeah. I'm going to the power score blog right now. Sorry. I just have to do this. Okay. The blog post is entitled the power score 2020 LSAT Bibles. What has changed question mark. And then, um, I'm looking for the rendered. Yes. Yeah, so this student just quoted. Well, then that's fucking bullshit. I mean, that's clearly like they're just trying to sell more books, right? Yeah. You know who does this? The masters of this are like Princeton Review. Oh, yeah. Because, and Kaplan. Because they, every year, they publish the, you know, 2020 Kaplan Guide to the LSAT. Yeah. Yep. And it's like, oh, okay, so you updated your garbage strategies and you just put 2020 on the cover. Yeah. You haven't actually changed any of your terrible advice. Yeah. Now, power score, I don't think gives like that much terrible advice, but this is pretty blatant to just be like, oh yeah, we've been selling these Bibles for years. Everybody resells them, passes them down to their friends and whatever. We don't want to let you do that anymore. We want to be like law schools where they make you buy the 13th edition of the (laughs) law textbook that basically hasn't changed at all either. Yeah. They're just trying to make, make more money. I mean, using this as an excuse is particularly egregious. I feel like, yeah, well, you know, rendered obsolete. Like if you pick up that LSAT (laughs) Bible, like you're not going to get anything out of it. I would say you're not going to get as much as you could out of it than you could other sources simply because they're so, I don't know. They're obsessed with like technicality or semantics, like even this, like according to, power score previous versions of the LSAT Bibles are now rendered obsolete. I mean, they've just, they've been so wedded to the LSAT for so long that they now talk like the LSAT. <laughs> yeah. Continuing on, it says the new 2020 versions of the power score Bibles are the only ones that address strategies for the digital format of the LSAT. <laughs> I'd love- and then here's the question to me. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'll just answer this directly. Mm-hmm. My question is, are you coming out with new versions of your LSAT books as a result of the digital format? Or do you feel it's not necessary since the content of the LSAT didn't change? Yeah, it's not necessary because the content of the LSAT didn't change. <laughs> like it's just fucking, that's just garbage. Like, you know what it's going to be? I mean, I can see how they're going to update like their reading comprehension Bible which I never thought was good to begin with. Mm-hmm. 
but now they're going to be like, oh yeah, here's, here's how to use the highlighting feature of the, <laughs> of, of the stupid tablet thing. Yeah. Here's how to, here's how to, if you want to underline, here's the tool to use for that. And we're going to give you, probably they're going to be like, you can use the multicolor underlining and highlighting feature. Yeah. It's a waste of time. Yeah. That's just, that, that's, I'm, I'm sure they're going to be doing the same thing on LR and then on games, what are they going to do? Like, yeah, you're not making the diagram on the page anymore. You're making the diagram on a piece of paper. Yeah. So they're going to add a paragraph about that. How does that make the Bible, the power score logic games Bible obsolete? Well, clearly people are going to be lost and confused when they show up on test day. They're like, wait, <laughs> Holy shit, this is an entirely different thing. Where do I do my diagrams? <laughs> oh my God. All right. I mean, whatever. Maybe they have some great strategies, new strategies that I haven't even contemplated yet. If, hey, if you guys, uh, if you read the 2020 version of the Bibles and you have, you know, any pearls versus turds that you want to submit to the show, send those in. That's help at thinkinglsat.com. We'll be happy to consider them. Yeah. The two questions that I think discerning students might have regarding the digital LSAT might be one, okay, you want us to do the if questions first in the games in some cases, uh, how can I do that? Because I can't see the if questions. Well, you just skip ahead and you stop on a question that says if. It's very easy. It takes one second, right, to click to the next yeah, question. In fact, it's better than it was before because now you can see which questions you haven't answered yet because they remain empty in their nav in the nav right so so you just click right back on to right the thing that clearly doesn't have an answer in the nav yeah so that problem has been resolved and you know some people have heard that they need to take notes in reading comp and we're saying no don't take notes so that problem is also resolved if you follow our reading comp advice i i don't see anything else that's like <laughs> needs to change and that the, and actually what we just said there is don't change you're okay in fact you're better in the digital lsat because it's going to discourage unnecessary note taking and skipping around in the games is easier than before the other thing is that um now you really have more time i and the whole system is just better in that sense like the navigation it, the whole thing is is great i like it yeah, uh, their delivery problems notwithstanding, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. we hear we heard a lot of horror stories from various places where there were glitches, but I mean, we got to trust that they're going to figure that out. Yeah, let me clarify. Eventually. The digital LSAT could be <laughs> way better, but I feel like it itself is better than the writing or the pen, pencil and paper version. So, like it's just all around better than the pen, paper and pencil. Great. Yeah. I mean, and I, we've said this a million times, but like for real people, you don't need to underline in the reading comp. You don't need to make notes in the reading comp. You don't need to highlight. You don't need to draw any arrows and circles and you don't need to do any of that shit. It's not helping you understand. Mm -hmm. And same logical reasoning. You do not need to be underlining the conclusion of the argument. Like sometimes the conclusion is unstated. Sometimes there isn't a conclusion. Other times you're going to underline the wrong thing. If you're just in there trying to underline the conclusion of the argument, you need to engage. You need to like, think about it. Mm -hmm. You need to read critically and skeptically and like have a, have a conversation with the speaker 
rather than focusing so much on the stupid mechanics of how you underline and what you write down and all that shit. It's just, I don't know. Like people who are good at the LSAT generally don't do that stuff. Yeah. So I, we, you don't need to do that. Now, of course you do need to make a diagram on the logic games. Most of the time you need to make a diagram on the logic games. They give you ample scratch paper for that <laughs> with the LSAC watermark on it. Mm-hmm. But you could just make a diagram like you normally would. I don't, there's, you don't need to do it. There's no special whatever. Yeah. All right. This next thing. Yeah. What's this? Did you add this? <laughs> I put this on the agenda because I just, I got like two emails within three days that basically said the same thing. Mm. So a demon user says, there's no explanation for all of the answer choices on this one logical reasoning question. And which I think that was like one of your older explanations, Ben, where, you know, you had just said, okay, this answer is wrong because of this. And this answer is right because of this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we're fleshing all those out. So if you want explanations of additional answer choices, no problem. Hit the ask button. I will write you a full explanation going through all five answer choices. No problem. Let me clarify. Like a long time ago, people would email me a question about a particular answer choice and I'd write them a response and then I'd be like, well, it's better to add this explanation to the, like make it publicly available than to have nothing. Right. So especially since most people are curious about the same answer choices over and over again. Yeah. So I'm sorry. I don't have all the answer choices explained for some of these questions, but I don't know. I figured something was better than nothing. It is. Yeah. It's totally better than nothing. And, but if you were, you know, interested in an explanation of one of the other answer choices and just send it on in and we'll be happy to, you know, make it better (laughs) for the long run. Right. Yeah. So, but then the email goes on and it says also, some of your answer choices on other problems are very condescending. Mm. And I had just received another email where someone said condescending. And by the way, they had misspelled condescending, Mm. but it made me look up the definition of condescension Mm -hmm. and it made me sort of think about it for a minute. And I just wanted to address this. I am sure Ben, that it is my explanation that people are accusing of condescension. (laughs) So here's what condescension means. According to Google, it is an attitude of patronizing superiority, semicolon, disdain. And I wanted to respond directly to this because that shit's not going to change. I'm not going to stop doing that. But I'm not being condescending to the student. I want people to understand what I'm doing. I'm condescending to the LSAT itself. I'm condescending to wrong answer choices that don't make any sense. The subtitle of my logical reasoning encyclopedia has always been disrespecting the LSAT. And I'm trying to teach you. I'm trying to help you make the test easier on yourself by basically having a condescending tone, a condescending attitude toward the wrong answer choices. I've said this a million times, but 80% of the answer choices are wrong. And the wrong answer choices are wrong because they don't answer the question. They are, they don't make sense. Mm -hmm. They either misstate the argument or they just completely whiff. Like they just are trash and you have to get to the point where you expect them 
to be trash. Mm -hmm. Uh, Students go about it. The lower level you are, the more likely you do this where you just go in there looking at the answer choices and you're reading a, and you're like hoping that a is the right answer. And you're trying to like make a into the right answer. You're you're trying to help it. Mm -hmm. And that's not the right way to do the logical reasoning. The right way to do the logical reasoning is to read the argument. And you know what? You should be condescending toward that argument too. You should be feeling superior. You should be feeling patronizing and feeling disdain for these arguments because these arguments are stupid. They don't make sense. Yeah. You should expect them not to make sense. You'll be shocked how easy the LSAT is if you, if you realize what you're supposed to be doing. You're supposed to be analyzing a garbage argument, saying why it's bullshit, then go into the answer choices, and the correct answer is going to be the only one that says why the argument's bullshit or fixes the problem that made the argument bullshit. So I'm like, sorry, not sorry. Like, I'm sorry that I, you that I made you feel bad or whatever, but you're going to have to get over that. you like, have you ever met a lawyer? Hmm. <laughs> do, do lawyers sometimes have a condescending tone, Ben? I think so. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's because when you're a lawyer, like your job is to be the smartest person in the room. Your job is to be the person that actually understands shit. So if I'm condescending to an answer choice, that's because that answer doesn't make sense. And if you want to ask me a good question, I mean, that's what my favorite, you know, the favorite questions that come in from students are like, hey, but this answer here, doesn't it mean this? And doesn't that make it right? Like, if you're going to ask that question, that's a great question. But sometimes I get like lazier questions from students where they're like, why didn't you explain B, C, D? And I'm like, well because those answers aren't even close to correct. (laughs) Like, did you listen to the entire explanation where I told you exactly what the answer was going to be because this is a sufficient assumption question, Mm. or I told you exactly what the answer was going to be because this is a main conclusion question. And now you're like really wanting me to give a lot of time and attention to all these other wrong answers that aren't even close, even though I already predicted the answer. Anyway, I'm sorry for the long rant. You want to add anything, Ben? No, I was just thinking about students who take your advice and like they're on your team and they're saying, okay, I'm going to be condescending to the argument, but it's like, they're almost, I don't, I wouldn't say that they're overly condescending. They're like condescending about the wrong things, you know, like we get to the conclusion and the conclusion says, therefore, yada, yada. And they're like, oh, that's so stupid. And I'm like, okay, why is that stupid? And they're like, how... How do we know that people would like cold uh, meals? And it's like, well, you know, that's actually one of the premises. So that part of this conclusion is fine. Like we, and and so I'm wondering what you tell people when they kind of start to catch your drift, and they're like, okay, I need to be like rude and condescending and disrespectful to these arguments, but they're disrespectful on things that are ultimately not weaknesses, right? Well, they just need to understand how to play the game, right? Mm -hmm. The game is on LSAT logical reasoning. The game is they're going to present you with premises that you have to accept as fact. Now you can roll your eyes and go, well, I'm not sure that's true in real life, but they're probably presenting you with some evidence that they expect you to accept. Like, Hey, 
if this evidence is true. Mm-hmm. And then they're going to use that evidence to reach some conclusion. And the conclusion part is the part that you get to really argue with. Mm-hmm. Okay. The game is accept their premises and then tell them why their premises do not justify their conclusion or accept their premises and point out an actual error in reasoning that they do in getting from their premises to their conclusion. Mm-hmm. Tell them that even if the premises are true, their conclusion doesn't necessarily have to be true because of blank. And when you learn how to fill in that blank, you're just going to be predicting the answers. Mm-hmm. And that's the real easy way to go. So yeah, I, I get what you're saying. And like people, I mean, I'll, I'll one time, you know, some, sometimes in class I'll be like, all right guys, like I'll read the argument and I'll go, okay guys, what do you think about that argument? Good or bad? Mm-hmm. And they're, you know, people, oh, it's bullshit. Mm-hmm. Cause I've trained them to do that. Right. Yeah. Oh, it's bullshit. And then I'm like, yeah, okay. But why? Mm-hmm. Well, it just doesn't make any sense. Uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> but why? And then if they start like attacking a premise, then it, it's like, no, I, I, that's not what we're doing. We, those premises, we're just basically saying those are facts. Mm-hmm. And then we're reasoning from those premises. Can we validly reach a conclusion or not? Yeah. And I'm always going to be condescending toward that conclusion because I actually want to be surprised when the conclusion is valid, mm-hmm. like when the conclusion is valid, I notice that it's valid. Yeah. Cause I was looking for an opportunity to shit all over it, you know? And then all of a sudden it's like, Oh, wait a minute. Well, if those premises are true, then the conclusion also has to be true. Yeah. And that's good too, because now I know that they have presented me with a valid argument. That's awesome. Yeah. Most of the time they don't. I mean, most of the time it's incomplete or outright flawed and that's your job. And if you've spotted why the argument is incomplete or flawed, granting the premises are true, they have not proven their conclusion. If you can tell them why, then you've already answered the question. And when you learn to do that, you'll realize why I'm so condescending to the wrong answer choices. Because they're just, most of the wrong answer choices are just like not playing the game. Like they're not close, they're not second best. They just indicate that you didn't really catch why the argument wasn't valid. Mm-hmm. And I just think that this, it does have tons of applicability to actual law school, right? I mean, that's what you do as a lawyer. We've got these facts and we've got this desired outcome. And like, how do we get from these facts to this desired outcome? Well, you've got to be able to like complete that story. Mm-hmm. That's what LSAT logical reasoning is about. And if you start doing it that way, it's, it's going to be vastly easy for easier for you. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if, if you don't, if you're not comfortable with that tone, I don't know, maybe I'm not the teacher for you, but I really do earnestly believe that that's the easy way to do it. And I've had a lot of success with a lot of students <laughs> teaching them to do it that way. Yeah. So that's my style. If you don't like my style, hey, there's shit tons of videos from Ben and the Demon, and Ben's a lot nicer than I am. So <laughs> that's a much different approach. Also valid approach. It's just it's just not the way I'm ever going to do it. There you go. Yeah, there you go. So the next, we're on to pearls and turds now. Yeah. Which, uh, or pearls versus, well, I don't even know what I said, but pearls versus turds. And so far in the show, we've found four pearls, 16 turds, and 10 ties. 
This is from a listener who read this exchange on Reddit. Okay. <laughs> That's how you know it's valid. Yep. Yeah. We don't even need to like evaluate this. This is good. <laughs> Pearl. Stamp Pearl it. Pearl next. Okay. So the original post said this. Took first LSAT cold. Got 166. What should I do to prepare? My goal is to get a 177 or higher. Comma. I got... 15 out of 23 on the games, 21 out of 25, and 25 out of 25 on LR, and 27 out of 27 on RC. I want to take the September test and get this out of the way. How do I improve my LR and LGs? Advice. This is the response. Okay, so there's literally no one on this entire Reddit app that will let that will tell you to do practice tests before actually getting the books and studying all of them thoroughly. Wait, what? There's literally no one on this entire Reddit app that will tell you to do practice tests before actually getting the books and studying all of them thoroughly. Everyone can learn in their own way, but getting a 177 would probably require extreme precision that can be honed with those books. Hmm. This... I'm actually, I'm sorry. I'm not even like, they're saying that, is this person saying that <laughs> you should not do tests? Like, I don't understand yeah. the first sentence. It's like telling what other people would say. The second sentence is saying you need precision, which could be honed through with those books. I would say getting hard questions, doing them, and then learning from them after you've proven yourself on the easier questions would help you improve. Games. This guy's just got to go do a bunch of games. Yeah. The, like, back it up. Before we get to the horrible advice mm-hmm. here, this is a clear turd, by the way. I'm just going to add it to the scoreboard. You agree, right? There's, like, no... Va- this is uh, not even close. I agree, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm like, even confused by the first sentence. Yeah. So, the, the advice here is, very like, we can correct this advice. Backing up. Took my first practiced LSAT cold, got 166. That's a fucking awesome score, awesome cold score. Mm-hmm. What should I do to prepare? My goal is to get a 177 or higher. I got 15 out of 23 on Logic Games, 21 and 25 on LR, which is awesome. 27 out of 27 on RC, obviously awesome. I want to take the September test and get this out of the way. How do I improve my LR and LGs? Okay, here's my response. Don't even worry about improving your LR. First, perfect your LGs. Mm -hmm. If you scored 21 out of 25 and 25 out of 25 on LR, that's because you're a good reader. You're able to read these questions and understand what they're asking and just get them right, which a lot of people can do. So great. Welcome to the club. That's awesome. 27 out of 27 on reading comp. Yeah, you're a goddamn good reader. Great. Don't have to worry about that. Logic games, 15 out of 23. Hey, that's so common. All you have to do is perfect your logic games and you're already going to be at 177. This very test would have been a 177 if you would have got perfect logic games. So I'm not saying like you can't ever get better at LR. Of course you can. But <laughs> step one, obviously, Ben, right? It's just like, dude, just start doing every logic game. Yeah. Get your games up to 23 out of 23, which is going to be easier than any of the other sections, which you're already doing. And then I would I would do the demon because the LR is going to give you hard questions and it's going to fish out anything else that's going to give you trouble and clarify anything that you happen to get lucky on in that 25 out of 25. Yeah. And you could just do tests in the demon 
but absolutely do tests, do time sections. Yeah. Like do time sections of games. Yep. And then watch our explanation <laughs> and then watch the videos. And then like, you'll get better and better and better at the games. And eventually you'll get perfect. Like this is the type of student who you would almost guarantee that they would get to perfection on the games. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. If you can score 27 out of 27, just out of the box on reading comp. And if you can score 25 out of 25 out of the box on LR, it's like, I guarantee you can score perfectly on the games. Yeah. They may not come naturally to you, but you'll be, you obviously have the wherewithal to figure <laughs> this stuff out and understand what we're trying to say. Totally. It makes per they make perfect sense. So you just have to practice. And I mean, the very best way to practice, throw away those, I mean, whoever's giving this advice, just, they don't know what the fuck they're talking about at all. Require extreme like, precision that could be honed with those books. Notice the probably there getting a 177 would probably require extreme precision. You don't know what you're talking about, dude. <laughs> like, shut up. Get off the internet. <laughs> what? <laughs> the, no, do time sections of games until you start scoring perfectly. You're going to already be scoring 177. There you go. You're welcome. Oh my God. All right. Cool. Were you ready for this diversity statement? Or do you have something you want to yeah, add to what's that? Yeah, what's this? What's this? I don't even know what that is. Oh, that's the person writing in. That's the comment from whoever sent this oh, pearls versus turd. Yeah, yeah. They say, I think he's chastising her for taking a diagnostic. And yeah, that's exactly what he's doing because he doesn't know what he's talking about. Yeah, go off and start reading books and get all confused. I'm something that clearly comes naturally to you. <laughs> People need to get off the internet. If you, I mean... The first, literally the first thing I ever do is, is, uh, encourage people to take a cold timed practice Mm -hmm. test. That's what I do as well. I do that with every single one of my classes. So I don't know. People need to get off the internet because this is just horrible advice. (laughs) And while we're talking about it, I mean, I know we've mentioned this before, but the biggest concerns that people have, is like, Oh, I'm not ready. I don't understand this test. It's like, Yeah, I don't expect you to necessarily do well on your diagnostic. The diagnostic is not to like make you feel bad. It's to just dive in. The fastest way to learn is to dive in. You know, it's like everything in life. We were playing a card game the other day and it's like some people wanted to like watch and it's like you can watch, but if you start playing you're going to figure out, you're going to probably not do so well the first time you play this game, but you're going to figure out the rules and they're going to make sense to you way faster because you're going to be losing points because of your misunderstanding. And you're like, wait, what? What exactly do we have to do here? Oh, we have to do this. And it's like, yeah. But if you watch, there's just, it's so much easier to just kind of drift and not pay attention. And that's what's happening with these books. It's just like you're coasting through the book and you're like, oh, oh, okay. Yeah, I should do this. No, just dive in, fail, and then ask yourself, yeah. why did I fail? If you, yeah, this, we're, we're all about the growth mindset, right? Mm-hmm. Like not the fixed mindset. We're, we're all about, Hey, take a practice test. I don't really care what you score. It's just that you need to like attempt the real thing and then see how you do and then start learning, yep. learn from your mistakes. Yeah. I mean, it's like, you want to learn how to play basketball, but you're going to like read a book about it. Well, think how many people are professional basketball watchers, right? They've been watching the best players their entire life. 
It's not helping you get better at basketball. <laughs> no, you may know, you may know <laughs> so much about certain plays and what plays would work best in this situation, but can you do it? No. Yeah. You know what? This is kind of a tangent, but like I played in a golf tournament over the weekend, I, this annual deal that I do in Santa Barbara. And because I didn't want to, my buddy and I last year, like we finished dead fucking last in the tournament. Yeah. And we decided that if we finished dead last again, we were going to like relegate ourselves like happens in, um, soccer, <laughs> you know, professional soccer in Europe. Mm. Like if you finish last place, you get like bumped down a league. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we were going to like relegate ourselves. Like if, Hey dude, if we finish last again, we just can't be playing in this anymore. You know, like we, we've got to basically fire ourselves. Sure. And so we both decided that we were going to like practice a little bit. Mm -hmm. And so I like did a bunch of like chipping and putting and I went to the driving range a time or two and I went out, played in the tournament. I played like dog shit. I don't think that the practicing actually helped me very much because I wasn't actually playing golf. Mm. Like it's just not the same. You actually have to. So I'm not sure that this is like completely hundred percent analogous to the LSAT, yeah. but I was feeling like I was playing an entirely different sport. Mm. Like I was making the same motions. Yeah. I was trying to do the same things, but it just didn't feel the same because I had been doing it in an entirely different context where it's like when you're practicing, you know, you're hitting three of the exact same putt in a row mm -hmm. or you're hitting three of the exact same chip in a row, or you're standing there in the driving range, just like blasting off drivers, you know, driver after driver after driver. And it's like, yeah, but in golf, it, you're playing a par four or whatever, and you have to get it from here to there. And you're only going to get one attempt at each shot. And you just kind of have to do it right. Mm -hmm. You have to be in it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's amazing how different it felt. It just, I it really, it didn't feel like the same at all. Yeah. And so I decided that like for my next thing, my next tournament, I'm going to, I'm going to try to focus on like actually playing rounds of golf a little bit more. Because I think, I don't know. I just don't think there's very much, there's like not a substitute. Mm -hmm. You know, so anyway, it just yeah, this trying to sell the idea of timed sections and timed practice tests so that you can get the feel of what the LSAT actually feels like. Yeah, I agree. Moving on. Yep. This one, um, I guess, uh, well, it says, hey, this was an email we got. Hey, Nathan gave me some diversity statement tips on Twitter and suggested I send my statement to this email. Uh, that's help at thinkinglset.com. I redacted it a bit to keep some anonymity. If you read this on the show, just call me Josh. Assuming I am the rule and not the exception, this will probably suck. Thanks for giving it a read nonetheless. Best, Josh. Thanks, Josh. Cool. You want to... How long is this? Just at a glance, it looks awful long to me for a diversity statement, but that's okay. I mean, as, as a draft, that's not that bad, right? Cause we can always cut out half of it yeah. and make it a lot better. So that that's not, that's okay for a draft. Want to read it? Yeah, I'll read it. So diversity statement by Josh. First sentence. I grew up homeless in the wealthiest County of some state redacted. What do you think about that? I guess right now I have a couple thoughts. One is for, for, for real, you, you grew up homeless. Like you, you weren't put into foster care or 
Like, what what do you actually mean by that? I, I guess I'm like, you couldn't have been homeless when you were two. You wouldn't have survived. So what does this mean? I, I guess I'm confused. Okay. I, well, that's interesting. I don't have that reaction at all. I mean, I there are homeless people and they're sur- surprisingly homeless people. I mean, there's people who live in cars and just they get by. They Yeah, but at what age? I guess you're saying there's homeless kids? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I guess I'm just having trouble visualizing what that actually means. Like are your parents homeless or you you had you weren't with your parents? To me it just raises a lot of questions and so I'm skeptical. It's telling, I suppose. It you know, because it's a conclusion. Mm-hmm. I don't think that there's like a binary homeless versus not homeless. Mm. So homeless by definition, or at least one way of interpreting homeless is kind of like a conclusion. So maybe Josh could have like instead just gone immediately, like gone right into the actual details Mm. instead of saying that. Cause if, yeah, I mean, if it's making at least one reader suspicious, right? Like you're raising an eyebrow, like homeless really? Yeah. Well, then maybe just say what happened. Yeah. And you'd you'd avoid that problem. Okay. All right, go on. At school, I completed my work on a brand new laptop or in front of the class on a touchscreen whiteboard. Okay. I ate balsamic glazed salmon cooked by the school's chef in the newly renovated cafeteria. Once I got off the school bus, my family's search for a hot meal and a place to sleep began. Most nights we stayed with extended family or at a cheap motel. When those options failed, our car served as a practical backup plan. Okay. That's the first paragraph. At least I'm starting to see what Josh means by homeless. Interesting contrast. This contrast of worlds was also present in the comparison of my life to my peers. Instead of retreating to a bedroom of my own at night, I squeezed between my brothers on twin mattresses on a twin mattress. I actually think you could start maybe with like that sentence, right? Like he gave like two sentences about the brand new laptop and the touchscreen whiteboard and the balsamic glazed salmon. Yeah. It's like, okay, you're going on and on. And like, that's not sounding like diversity. Now that's like, you're, you're privileged to even be in that school. You're privileged. Right. And I understand what he's trying to do, which is he's then trying to flip to like, well, but on the other hand, here's what I did after school. Mm -hmm. I get it. It's like kind of nice, but you could get to the point a lot quick, a lot more quickly, a lot quicker. Sorry. You could get to the point a lot quicker with just, you know, here's what my, I don't know that sentence, instead of retreating to a bedroom of my own, I squeezed between my brothers on a twin mattress. (sighs) It's a little more like showing instead of telling, and it's a little just like tighter, a little quicker. Mm. So I think I I would be trying to work on that, I guess, just to boil it down a little bit. Yeah. Like you don't need all the details, right? Mm -hmm. One really powerful detail, nicely delivered, can tell your entire story. You You don't need to kind of go on and on, like belabor the point with all of the details. Yeah. For my taste. I don't know. Go ahead. Well, I'm curious what Josh's point is and then kind of backing up and trying to start over. Right. Well, so uh, that's, and that's like, I find this all the time with diversity statements. I was reading one just yesterday where I was like, Hey, you're, 
this is two pages long. Like, are, what are you doing? This is, I don't understand where you're going with this. Mm-hmm. They want to know how you're going to bring a diverse perspective to the law school classroom. If you can convince them that you indeed grew up homeless in the wealthiest county in whatever state. Okay. That's your, got it. I got it. <laughs> yeah. I got it. Like, I believe you. Yeah. So you don't need to like go on and on and on. And like, then I'm, then it's like, okay, now you're just wasting my time. Like you had an entire personal statement, two pages to like, you know, make your whole case for yourself. And now you're going, you're like going on and on with another two pages. I I don't know. I, I just like this stuff to be tighter. Mm. He continues the books I read at the free at the free library replaced the TV shows and video games that my classmates debated at lunch. Okay. This ever-present disparity instilled in me a desire for more. When I expressed this to my father, which was often, he always said something along the lines of, learning is the greatest opportunity. If you do well in school, you will open up doors that others can only dream of. Despite my parents' lack of of a college degree, they never understated the importance of one. I knew the only way I could afford to attend college would be with a scholarship, So I made this my biggest goal throughout high school. My senior year, I earned a scholarship to attend Redacted University. On move-in day at this university, I felt a similar contrast. I arrived at my dorm alone with a backpack of clothes, a basketball, and the book I read on the train. I watched families move fridges and desks through the narrow halls. I glanced in rooms and saw walls decorated with posters, tapestries, and lights. I helped my hallmates move their things in, in part to make new friends and to lend a hand, but also to have a reference for things I should buy. As I sat in my newly, nearly empty room, I knew I had to get a job to pay for my expenses at school. I applied to jobs that night. Two weeks later, I spent my days between class and an internship at a financial advisory firm. At night, I made pizza deliveries, studying between orders. Whatever money I did not need, I sent home to help pay the bills. While I was unable to participate in as many campus organizations and social activities as I wanted to, I volunteered two Saturday mornings a month with Habitat for Humanity and this university's campus cleanup. Hmm. You know what I'm going to say? What are you going to say? I think he's throwing in too many things here, and I think he's undercutting his own case. Okay. How come? If you're... Well, if he's trying to make the case for like, I was homeless and poor, Mm -hmm. then I don't think it helps to talk about your volunteering. Mm. Like, it's nice that you did that and it's on your resume and everything, but it just makes me think that you're now not like, I, I don't, I don't think you're that poor if you're volunteering with the campus cleanup, or at least it doesn't feel that way. I guess I'm not I saying you're a liar. I, I just took it as he was trying to give back or something because he understood. Those. Yeah, I know. But like, that's the whole thing is that when you're that underprivileged, you don't have time or energy to give back. I just, I just think it, it under, so <laughs> the, you have to think about the difference between perception and reality, mm-hmm. right? Like if he's trying to sell the idea that he grew up actually homeless and that that's the diversity that he's bringing to the law school classroom. I think you could just like basically say that in one paragraph and then get out of here. Mm-hmm. Cause next thing you know, you're living in the dorms 
and you're worried because your dorm mates are moving in refrigerators. Well, you don't need a fucking refrigerator in your dorm room. So I don't like, I don't, that's doesn't make me, that's under, you're undercutting yourself. Mm -hmm. This line about like, Oh, I was watching what the hallmates were moving in and you know, in part to make new friends and lend a hand, but also to have a reference for things I should buy. It's like, Oh, well then you're not that bad off anymore. Yeah. I don't know. It's just, it's not like you're not, you need to think about what your thesis is and you need to just focus on making that case. I guess I'm not so sure though that, I mean, isn't his goal to overcome or to show how he's like moved beyond his initial challenges? Yeah. I mean, I I guess I'm still curious, like, I'm not saying that I disagree with you necessarily. I'm just still curious, like, (laughs) what does Josh have to say? And what, what is going to be your, your point here? And then stepping back and kind of saying, okay, just get rid of all this stuff or maybe leave it or focus on that instead. I don't know. You're just not homeless anymore. Like you got a scholarship to college. Great. (laughs) Like you've already won, you know, not, not to say that that's the end of the, of everything, but like. The fact that you were homeless in school growing up and you still were able to get a scholarship for school Mm -hmm. and go live in the dorms. Okay. Bitchin'. That's all I need to know. I just don't, I don't, I don't know. I I also want to say that like, and I'm not saying I, I'm not saying Josh, I'm not saying that I don't actually believe you, but when you say whatever money I did not need, I sent home to pay the bills to help pay the bills that just like throwaway line. I think a, I think there's a lot of skeptical readers that are going to be like, no, you didn't. Hmm. <laughs> it's just so easy to say that, but it's not. For some reason, I, I don't know. I don't find that unbelievable. I, I It kind of makes sense. Like if he really does have this opportunity in school, then it seems like he and his parents are in the situation that they're supposedly in. I would expect him probably to do that. I'm not saying I don't actually believe it. I'm just saying that like that there seems to be kind of an inconsistency in the story here. Like, I, I guess I'd like to know a little bit more why your family was homeless. Yeah. Like, cause your parents seem like they're doing this great parenting of like talking to you about how college is so important and learning is the greatest opportunity and all that stuff. Like that doesn't, that's not what I would expect to hear from someone who grew up homeless. I agree. It it seems, I mean, I, I guess I don't know enough homeless families, but. No, I don't either. I I don't either. And uh, forgive me. I'm not trying to be insensitive about the homelessness issue. I'm just saying from a storytelling perspective. Yeah. I think what Josh has done here is put in too much and made the story too complicated so that now a reader is like, wait, this, but also this, but also this, like, wait, no, I'm, I'm having a hard time picturing it where if you left it a little bit shorter and tighter, right? Like focus on if you just focused on high school or something and how you were homeless, you you're, you were going to school with much more privileged people. Nonetheless, you were able to get yourself a scholarship to college. Like that's a story I can just go, Oh yeah. Okay. Got it. But now this is like, I don't know. Like I don't, I don't know what habitat for humanity and the campus cleanup, especially the campus cleanup really has to do with that. Yeah. And I just, I don't know. It's like the, the more you say, <laughs> right? Like the more you say, the more it becomes uh, like suspicious. I don't know. Hmm. 
Well, let's see what else he has to say here. I'm, I'm yeah. kind of curious. This was the first time I felt in control of my life path. Each exam I studied for and pizza delivery I made better positioned myself and my family's future. This was what I consider success. Okay. I would say things a little differently here, but I'm just kind of ignoring that for now. Despite achieving this success, I can't help but think that I was motivated, at least in part, by the wrong desires. Hmm. I wanted to succeed despite being homeless. I wanted to prove that my family's situation would not hold me back. But the feeling of accomplishment that came from measuring my success through this lens was fleeting. A lot of telling here. Yeah, you're just telling us your like inner thoughts. I distanced myself from an upbringing that taught me so many life lessons. I now realize that I reached my goals because of my upbringing. The discomfort of sharing a twin mattress, the library that fostered my love of reading, and the experiences that left me with a desire for more. My experience with homelessness shapes me, but does not define me. Yeah, this is all telling. I don't know actually what you're trying to do here. I feel like you're trying to say, like, my challenges were good, which is true. Challenges can certainly make people reach higher and become better. But I don't know that this is necessary. And because it's all telling, it's hard to believe. Yeah. And it's, it's also like, it's this thing of, of like kind of shitting on your own story. Like I was motivated by the wrong desires and all that. It's like, okay, we don't need to have, it doesn't need to go like negative. I'm not even sure that's true. Like what, what do you mean? It's the the wrong desires. So does that a desire to make yourself better than what you were before? A desire to get out of homelessness, a desire to improve your circumstances for your family. Like, why is that wrong? I don't know. Like, it's almost like this, like, sometimes people get in these like, overly like self condemning <laughs> mindsets where it's like, Oh, I yep. wanted success or I wanted money and that can't be good. And it's like, uh, yeah, on some level wanting those things too much is maybe quote wrong because it ends up being not as fulfilling as you had hoped it would be. But some of that's good. <laughs> so I, I don't know. It's just not, not even if it is wrong or right. And I'm not going to say whether it is, you don't need to say it here. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I can imagine just like a one paragraph version of this, you know, you, your job here is to tell me that you were homeless in school. If that's the, if that, I mean, if that's your thesis, like I am going to bring diversity to the law school classroom because I was homeless while I was in high school. That's, I think a perfectly valid diversity statement. Yes. And I would say it by not saying that you were homeless. I would actually right. just I think say you can do what it. you, what happened. We yeah, moved from house totally. to house. That is so much more believable, at least for me. Cause when you say homeless, I'm literally thinking like, gosh, dang it. Like what on the street? Yeah. What is that outside like, in the rain? Yeah. What does that mean? Like, right. No, we moved, we moved from house to house. We crashed with neighbor friends. We freak, you know, we spent this many nights in the car. I remember sharing a twin mattress with my two brothers aged, whatever, like, give me the details yeah. of it. You know, I want to actually picture it. And then you don't ever need to say the word homeless or you can say the word homeless and, you know, in the, in the last sentence or something, but I would, I would love to see just a one paragraph version of this. I, I feel like you can get in and out of there 
tell me that you did because you very you definitely did. <laughs> like there are not very many people in law school who have this story. Nope. But you can tell me that story in three, four sentences and not raise all of these red flags and just kind of like, I don't know, you just, the more you say, the, the more opportunity you give yourself to get in trouble, I think. What about connecting that experience to where he is now? Like the one thing, like he just ends his story, like I got a scholarship to college and that's it. So I grew so then the story is I grew up and was going from house to house and does he want to say anything explicit about that? Like as I think about how that experience Yeah, maybe he could he could show one sentence of how his experience with homelessness when he was younger impacted his college career. Yes. Yeah, okay, I like this. So maybe talking about maybe some interaction or some class in which someone was like us <laughs> bitching and moaning about homelessness or something like, wait a sec, you don't get it. This is what I went through and this is what I know or something. I don't know. Like, yeah. Like how does this diversity, how will it affect your contribution to the law school and the law experience for everyone else? Yeah. And you could show how it impacted your how you brought diversity to the college campus and understanding, right? Cause that's really what these law school administrators are hoping. Well, there's two goals, right? There's the, well, we want to look diverse to the world so that more people like us and come to our school. That's an external motivation, but the internal one to the extent it exists is we want diversity in our school so that our educational experience is enriched by the ideas and the perspectives that you bring to the classroom that otherwise would not be there if everyone was homogeneous, right? If everyone was the same, then they might not be exposed to conflicting ideas or expand their understanding of the world. So they're hoping on some extent, to some extent that you come in and you help people see the law and life differently. And if you can show how you did that in college, I think that would be, powerful and it all be shown. Yeah, you could, for example, you could show me your, you know, something that happened in the dorms where everyone else, everyone is up in arms and complaining about it. And you were looking around like, this ain't so bad. Yeah. <laughs> or like an adversity that happened. Fridge. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, exactly. Like I'm so mad at my parents because they wouldn't buy me a new Xbox for my dorm room. And I, you know, it's like, okay, that type of shit is like, you could show that and, or you could you show be how, careful how you show that you don't want to come across as yeah, condescending. <laughs> right. Yeah. But, but you could show how, show how you were actually stronger because in your whole last paragraph here, it's all just telling, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, the experiences that left me with a desire for more. Yeah. Okay. Sh- you know, give me one experience, it, like show me that desire for more rather than telling me that you have a desire for more. Yep. I agree. I think it still need a lot of work, but basically it comes down to like two yeah. paragraphs, two or three. The first one basically showing us what happened when you were growing up so we can see that you are homeless and the challenges that you faced. One short paragraph about that. Mm -hmm. I don't need to really hear about the salmon. (laughs) 
show me, you know, like you, you maybe one of those details, but like, just don't not, not so much of it. Yeah. I mean, actually, I don't mind if the paragraph's a little bit longer, if it's all showing and facts, I'm, I'm actually very curious, like what, what, what was your experience? Because, and part of the reason I'm curious is that I'm skeptical. So until I can hear more and be like, oh, okay, I can see why you were in this situation, right? Kind of like what you were saying, like his parents sound like they on some level have their shit together, but on a completely other level, they don't. And how long was this? Was this stretched out over 18 years? If that's the case, it doesn't make sense to me. But if it was more momentary, like it was like five years from this time to this time, uh, because if you have your shit together in some ways, then I would expect, I don't know, but I would expect you to also slowly move out of this situation unless you were hampered by physical challenges or something like that, right? Like it's hard for me to understand there seems to be this disconnect. That's what I'm saying. And yeah, so that's why I, want I think more. it would, I can see that it would be good to, to show us why you were homeless when you were a little homeless, more details right? about how long. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Thanks, Josh. Want to dive into this, uh, logical reason question? Let's do it. This is from prep test 71, which now is freely available on the, um, LSAT's uh, Khan Academy thing. So we can talk about it. Section two, question number eight. And here comes the argument or the, the paragraph part. It says, many uses have been claimed for hypnosis from combating drug addiction to overcoming common phobias. A recent experimental study helps illuminate the supposed connection between hypnosis and increased power of recall. Okay. Can I just comment so far how I'm yep. feeling about hypnosis? Because the author said many uses have been claimed. I'm, yep. s I'm guessing, I don't know at this point, but I'm guessing that the author doesn't think that these claims are true. And yep. then when it says a recent experimental study, it's like, oh, wait, you are going to show that this is true? Helps eliminate right. the supposed connection. That's like, oh, I'm back to, <laughs> you probably yep. don't think there's a connection. Now, I don't know. The author could say, and there is, and here's the connection. But that's what I'm anticipating. And I don't know that people are doing that enough. No, they're yeah. not. They are not. <laughs> I had that exact same experience. I was like, hypnosis, huh? I don't think you're probably going to be selling me on hypnosis. Mm -hmm. If you are, I'm going to be very skeptical. Yep. When you say an experimental study helps illuminate, I'm like, oh boy, you are going to? Yeah. <laughs> and then they go, supposed. And I go, okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Here we go. Let's hear this uh, illumination of the supposed connection. Sure. A number of subjects listened to a long, unfamiliar piece of instrumental music. A number of subjects just means some. I don't care about that. I'm not really critical of that. It's just this, this is the sub the subjects did this yep. like the subjects in the mm -hmm. study. Under subsequent hypnosis, half the subjects were asked to recall salient passages from the musical piece, and half were asked to describe scenes from, quote, the film they had just viewed, <laughs> despite their not having just seen a film. Interesting. I would kind of chuckle there. Yeah, it's like, oh, well, that's like, sounds like a 
kind of a fucked up study. By the way, I would also pause here to just clarify my mind. Okay, so there were two groups, and one was asked to describe something that did just happen, and the other was to describe something that didn't happen. And so I'm already sort of anticipating the group that was asked to describe something that didn't happen to... What's like? I'm actually just curious. Like, what? How are they going to respond to this weird question? Yeah, I'm very interested in the you know findings of the study. Mm -hmm. Yep. The study found that the subjects in the second group were equally confident and detailed in their movie recollections, which they did not watch, as the subjects in the first group were in their music recollections, which they did actually listen to. Okay, and the passage just ends there. I don't see any conclusion. <laughs> There's not a conclusion, but I can reach a conclusion. Sure. Right? If all of these are true, mm-hmm. then hypnosis is bullshit, at least according to this study. I mean, <laughs> the, <laughs> these people who yeah. just came out of this hypnosis are, are just as confident as the, <laughs> as, about their movie recollections as the people who... They all listen to music. Everybody listened to music. Yeah. But these people are now confidently giving you recollections from a movie they did not watch. If anything, that makes it seem like hypnosis is making your recall worse. Yeah, this is strange because the second sentence, a recent experimental study helps illuminate the supposed connection between hypnosis and increased power of recall. Yeah. But wait, it doesn't help illuminate that. It just shows that well, people... <laughs> no, it helps... Because helps illuminate does not mean helps to prove. Yeah. It means just help. It sheds light on mm. the supposed connection. Yeah. And sometimes when you shed light on something, it's revealed to be bullshit. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I'm, I'm going, oh yeah. Okay. So you probably think that this is bullshit. I, one, I have a quibble with it, right? Which is where's your control group? I mean, you don't have a group that wasn't hypnotized. Yeah. What about the group that was hypnotized and asked to recall salient passages and the group that was not hypnotized and asked to describe scenes from the movie they just viewed? Now that would be entertaining. We need them both to be not, not hypnotized, right? We need to see what the results are. If you just let people listen to music and then you ask one group, Tell me about the music. And you ask another group, tell me about that movie you just watched. <laughs> and everybody's like, what the fuck? <laughs> I didn't just watch it. I mean, <laughs> it, you know, there is, it, there's a lot of com- common sensically, yeah. right? Like, w- and we're allowed to use basically c- basic common sense. Commonsensically, if you asked the group that with, they were not hypnotized and you ask them, hey, tell me about that movie. I don't think that they're going to be equally confident and detailed in their movie recollections as the subjects in the first group were in their music recollections. Yeah. If none of the people were hypnotized, right? Okay. So adding all this up, it sure seems to me like hypnosis is bullshit. The question says, which one of the following statements is most supported by the information above? Okay. So what are you thinking as you head into the answer choices? I'm going to be asking myself what must be true given what was said. And what was said suggests that there is no connection or it's, bogus, right? That's sure what it looks like to me. I mean, I I would say that if there is a connection, it, it is a negative connection. Mm -hmm. Like hypnosis makes you have worse powers of recall. It makes you like susceptible to suggestion where you're going to just start recalling details of a movie you didn't even watch. To me, it actually looks like there is a connection. 
It's just a negative connection, not a positive yes, connection. Which is why we'd really like that control group. Because what happened? Do people just do this yeah. anyway? <laughs> oh, yeah. Let I mean, me tell we you can about the movie. Nah, I just I, I, that just is so far-fetched. That would be, I think, an unwarranted assumption. Like, that's just silly to think. Now, of course, yeah, if you to do better science, you would need to do that control group that wasn't hypnotized. But Well, I'm arguing that to say that we don't know a whole lot, right? Like, And I think that's always safe yeah. to say. We just don't know. Yes, Yes. Okay. So, okay. but bottom line is I'm asking myself, does this have to be true given what was said? Answer choice A, many of the claims made on behalf of hypnosis are overstated. Hmm. Okay. So I don't like this because of the phrase, many of the claims. Yep. If anything, like you're saying, maybe they're understated, but even so, we just evaluated one of them. So I'm already like, no. Yeah, because it started with many uses have been claimed for hypnosis from combating drug addiction to overcoming common phobias. And for all we know, maybe it does work for those things. Yeah. This study was about the supposed connection between hypnosis and increased power of recall. That is only one. And it sure makes it look like hypnosis is bullshit for increasing your power of recall. Mm -hmm. But that does not mean that many of the claims, that's one of the claims made on behalf of hypnosis, not many of the claims. B, hypnosis cannot significantly increase a person's power of recall. Well, okay. We've been saying, hey, look, it doesn't seem like it's helping, but this is too strong. We, Again, we, we don't know because the study was conducted poorly. So I'm saying it's just too strong. Yeah, I hate the cannot. Yeah. I mean, that said... If I didn't find any other answers, I could I could imagine a case where I would come back and pick this. Sure. You know, it technically speaking, I guess it's a soft must be true question. I don't think that's really useful for helping you to find the right answer, but it does say most supported by the information above. And if people are remembering a movie they didn't even watch, <laughs> that doesn't seem like it's helping your power of recall. Yeah. Uh, the word cannot is strong, but I guess the fact yeah. that it's saying it cannot significantly increase, you're like, yeah, it doesn't seem like it can do that since it's messing with you. But the problem with the cannot is that it would apply to all contexts, mm-hmm. right? And if these people had been trying to memorize the names of like all of the bones of the skeleton of a cat, sure, we don't know what would have happened in that case. Yeah. So, you know, like these people could have become fucking Rain Man all of a sudden. Because of hypnosis in that case, we don't know. We all we know is they were listening to music and uh, they were they were seemed susceptible yeah. <laughs> to to this suggestion about a movie that they didn't even watch. But so, yeah, the cannot and be uh, is a real bad red flag for this type of question. See, recalling events under hypnosis inevitably results in false memories. Mm. Inevitably, again, is like cannot and be it's too strong. Yep. Yeah, it did in some cases if this said recalling events under hypnosis well yeah sometimes, sometimes results in false memories i'd be like yeah sure as hell yeah, seems like just it seemed like it happened but inevitably yeah. is too strong d what people recall under hypnosis depends to at least some extent on suggestion you know i think i'm remembering people talk about this question now that we're talking about it i think people don't like the word suggestion But (laughs) what people recall under hypnosis depends to at least some extent on suggestion. Yes, because by saying 
please tell us about the scenes from the film that you had just viewed, even though they hadn't seen one. And they came back with answers that were, and they were just as confident and detailed in their movie recollections. They, they're clearly being influenced by the suggestion that they had just viewed a movie, even though they had yeah, the power of suggestion. Yeah. I mean, that's one thing when I'm responding to these questions from the ask button in the demon, that is a really common objection that people make like, well, how can that be the right answer? Because it doesn't say suggestion in the passage. Mm. Yeah, but words have meaning and words have synonyms and phrases have synonyms. And they told you that they asked people to describe scenes from a film that they did not watch. And so, and the people like responded with, yeah, here, let me tell you all about the movie I just watched. Well, that's the power of suggestion. That's what, that's just what that is. That's what that means. Yep. So. And notice how weak it is, at least to some extent, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's weak. That's all we need is one person. Mm -hmm. And we have the half of the people here who were asked about the film. They're all equal or that that group is equally confident. And equally detailed. Well, yeah, of course they've been influenced by suggestion. Yep. Okay. Visual memory is enhanced more. (laughs) I'm already nervous. By hypnosis than is auditory memory. I I have no idea. So it might be. I mean, they, the study didn't show anyone anything. Yeah. Right. And, and, and also the more, I mean, well, the visual memory is referring to the movie, right. And then auditory. Movie. Right. But the two groups were equally confident and yeah. detailed. So, right. So that's not more that's equally, yeah. e- even if you are interpreting visual memory that way, like memory of something that you watch that you didn't actually watch. That's a weird interpretation of visual memory, but the more makes it wrong <laughs> and they actually weren't watching anything. So we don't know what the impact is on visual memory. Yeah. Yeah. So it's D. Cool. You want to leave it there and get back to work? Yeah. Let's do it. Yeah. We've got, uh, I think this is a little bit outdated. I think we got 1500 something or 1600 something members in the thinking LSAT podcast group on Facebook. You can check in with us there. If you want, give the thinking LSAT Facebook page a like, check us out on Instagram. I think we're more fun on Instagram. Yeah. That's at thinking LSAT on Instagram. We're also at thinking LSAT on Twitter. I'm in Fox on Twitter. Ben is at Olson Benjamin on Twitter. If you want to learn about live classes, Ben offers uh, live classes in DC. You can go to strategyprep.com to learn about those. I offer live classes in San Francisco and in Los Angeles. You can go to foxlset.com to learn more about my classes. We also do uh, tutoring and have all sorts of online options, including the LSAT demon, go to lsatdemon.com, sign up for a free trial Check it out. It's awesome. People love it. They said that they are getting addicted to their LSAT prep (laughs) through the LSAT demon. Awesome. I can't imagine a better compliment than that. Just a reminder, you can listen to the show all sorts of ways. Please uh, hit the subscribe button in Apple podcasts or on YouTube. We're also on Spotify, Stitcher, and you can listen directly through the website if you want at thinkinglsat.com. That was show number 205. Thanks all y'all for listening. Nice knowing you. Don't pay for law school.